Yeah, it's the same word, but it's in a different place. See, so it's the changes the the grammar changes the uh, way they they mark it for pronunciation. Um, let's do it one more time. Arjuna uvacha. Arjuna uvacha. Stita pragyasya kabhasha. Samadhi stasya keshava. Samadhi stasya keshava. Stita dhikim prabhasheta. Kim asita prajeta kim. Together? Arjun said. No, together. Arjun said. Oh Krishna, what are the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus merged in transcendence? How does he speak? And what is his language? How does he sit? And how does he walk? 55 or 50, yeah. 55. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha. Prajahati Yadakama. Prajahati Yadakama. Sarvan partamanogatam, Atman ye vatmanatushta, Stitta pragyasta dochate, And again, I'm, I'm using Prabhupada's translate, uh, pronunciation of when you have JN combination, instead of saying jina, the Bengali is gya, it's like gy. So I say pragyasta. Pragyas, stita pragyas, instead of saying stita prajnas. <laughs> but it depends on what part of India you're from. They'll say it in different ways. I just choose to say it Prabhupada's way. English translation together. The Supreme Personality of God has said, O Partha, when a man gives up all varieties of desire for sense gratification, which arise from mental concoction, and when his mind, thus purified, finds satisfaction in the self alone, then he is said to be in pure transcendental consciousness. <coughs> so Arjuna asked very, an external kind of question. Krishna gave a very internal answer, which actually uh, will cause someone in that kind of internal consciousness to speak and walk and sit and do things differently. Uh, text 56. Dukesh Vanud Vignamana. Dukesh Vanud Vignamana. Dukesh Vanud Vignamana. Dukesh Vanud Sukesh Vikatas Priha. Vita Raga Bayakrodha. Together, one who is not disturbed in mind, even amidst the threefold miseries, or related when there is happiness, and it was free from attachment, fear, and anger, is called the sage of steady mind. So this whole section, 54 through 72, uh, Borjan just called it samadhi. This is the, the trance, the consciousness of somebody who is actually uh, beyond the modes of material nature. 57. Yasarvatra nabhisnehas Yasarvatra nabhisnehas Tatat prapya shubhashubham Tatat prapya shubhashubham Nabhinandati nadveshti 
Tasya Pragya Pratishtita. Together. In the material world, one who is unaffected by whatever good or evil he may obtain, neither praising it nor despising it, is firmly fixed in perfect knowledge. Uh, 58. <laughs> Tasya Pragya Pratishtita. You see the same phrase, Tasya Pragya. It's, this is a person who is fixed in consciousness. Together, one who is able to withdraw his senses from sense objects, as the tortoise draws its limbs within the shell, is firmly fixed in perfect consciousness. <coughs> Famous verse 59. Vishaya Vinivartante Nirahara Dehinaha Rasabarjam Raso Pyasya Parangrishtvani Vartate Together. Though the embodied soul may be restricted from sense enjoyment, the taste for sense objects remains. But ceasing such engagements by experiencing a higher taste, he is fixed in consciousness. Okay, two more. We're just going to go through 61. 60. Yatato hyapikanteya. Yatato hyapikanteya. Purushasya vipaschataha. Purushasya vipaschataha. Somebody's jumping the gun. Probably me. No, it's a lady. That was me. Is it you? Don't yeah. jump the gun. Sorry, Let's do it together. That's why the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sounds so good. They're so together, so right. <laughs> and they practice with us. Indriyani Pramatini. Indriyani Pramatini. Prasabhammanaha. Together. The senses are so strong and impetuous, O Arjuna that they forcibly carry away the mind, even if a man of discrimination who is endeavoring to control them. And finally, 61. Tani sarvani sanyamya Tani sarvani sanyamya Yukta asita matparaha Yukta asita matparaha Vashehi asyendriyani Tasya Pragya Pratishtita. Together, one who restrains his senses, keeping him under full control, and fixes his consciousness upon me, is known as a man of steady intelligence. So that's the only way to really be fixed and not be just dragged around by the senses. So we focus on Krishna and everything related to Krishna. Because we're neophytes, we can't just think of Krishna all the time, we're not that advanced. But if we just focus on the very practical de details of our service, that's, that's the same. Okay, so let's go back um, to 54. And you have a question already. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> what you said. 
Is, it, is, there, is there any question of controlling the mind for a mayavadi? A mayavadi, no. A brahmavadi, yes. A mayavadi, by definition, means he's envious of, the, of Krishna. So he'll try to just avoid Krishna. So he's going to be dragged around the same way uh, a materialist is. Only he's trying to do it in the spiritual sphere. So he'll... Uh, well, am I about it? Yeah, no, no question. <laughs> he's just going to be dragged. Because he envies Krishna. <coughs> he thinks Krishna's body is made of maya. That's what we call him. He calls himself maya body. So a Brahma body is somebody who worships the Supreme Brahman. He also is fixed in impersonalism, but he's not an envious person. He just doesn't know about Krishna yet. Like the four Kumaras, Bilbhumangala Thakur, Shukadeva Goswami, so many Brahmabhadis, when they heard about Krishna, wow! <laughs> and they just went to a higher level. Thank you, Prabhu. Okay. So, um, yeah, let's go back to Arjuna's question. And... The way we do it, Mary Rose. So who's going to share with Mary Rose? Maybe. I will. Or she can't. Huh? I brought them on the second book. Hey, <laughs> Did you do that? I just have them stacked. Apologize. <laughs> okay. So I guess I can just share my book around. I have one. Okay. You got one, Lavanga? Legend of Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you want to share? Yeah. Or you want to share with three? You can be in the middle. Or just, yeah, it's fine. Ladies, just... <laughs> <coughs> We're on Chamas the Gita, Dext 254. 254, Bori Prabhu's... And Michelle's reading. Oh, but she doesn't have a... No, she's in the penalty box. I can just listen. It's yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so, um, yeah, just read the translation of the verse again, and then read Bori comments, and then we'll take questions. <coughs> Arjuna said, O Krishna, what are the symptoms of one whose consciousness is thus merged in transcendence? How does he speak and what is his language? How does he sit and how does he walk? Arjuna wants to know how to recognize the Sthita Pragna. Yeah. The one is divine consciousness. He therefore asks, What are his symptoms? What does he speak? What did, how does he sit? How does he walk? Trila Vishvanatha Chakravarti Takura explains that Arjuna's first question asks, question asks, how is one who is transcendentally situated, Sthitapana, described? What are his characteristics? Krishna answers this first question in text 55, although these questions seem to deal only with such a person's External behavior. Srila Vishvanatha Chakravarti Thakura reveals each question's internal meaning. So there you go. So that's the advantage of this study guide. Um, that Borijana, of course, he draws on Prabhupada's purport. Uh, let's look at Prabhupada's purport to this. I'll just read it. <coughs> okay, so Srila Prabhupada comments to this verse. As there are symptoms for each and every man in terms of his particular situation, similarly, one who is Krishna conscious has his particular nature, talking, walking, thinking, feeling, etc. As a rich man has his symptoms by which he is known as a rich man, as a diseased man has his symptoms by which he is known as diseased, cough, cough, or as a learned man has his symptoms 
So a man in transcendental consciousness of Krishna has specific symptoms in various dealings. One, who <coughs> one can know his specific symptoms from the Bhagavad Gita. And now Prabhupada chooses to focus on, you know, like Arjuna said, how does, Pragya, how does he speak? So Prabhupada focuses on that. Most important is how the man in Krishna consciousness speaks, for speech is the most important quality of any man. I remember reading that for the first time, you know, 50 years ago and being struck by that. Wow. And then Prabhupada explains, It is said that a fool is undiscovered as long as he does not speak, and certainly a well-dressed fool cannot be identified unless he speaks. But as soon as he speaks, he reveals himself at once. The immediate symptom of a Krishna-conscious man is that he speaks only of Krishna and of matters relating to him. Other symptoms then automatically follow, as stated below. So when we hear Prabhupada's speech, of course, when he's giving class, but also when he's on morning walks and room conversations, <coughs> or giving an interview to the press, he might be talking about so many things, and it appears maybe unrelated, but then he'll always relate it. <laughs> he'll always tie it in, yeah. Uh, because, and that's Prabhupada's compassion. Because he's not just talking on a plane that, appear, that seems like way above people. No, he's, going, he's talking right about where they're at, and then he leads them to Krishna. So that's, that's compassion. And that's what we should do, too. We should be able to talk to people about what they're doing and, and then uh, you know, connect it somehow to Krishna. <coughs> okay. Any questions about that? 54... External symptoms, Arjuna is asking, and Krishna will answer in a very internal way. Okay. It's, uh, it's again a period. You got to raise your hand. Uh, again, a period later on when Krishna speaks about the austerity of speech. That well, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. There is a connection there. Yeah, yeah that's way. That's seven. You know that verse. Why? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good. Uh, austerity of speech, this is seventeen fifteen, consists in speaking truthfully and beneficially, and in avoiding speech that offends. Then, it, then it says, and then the last line is, one should also recite the Vedas regularly. So, <laughs> but if. You can, so we can take that literally, or we can take it broadly, too, that uh, we connect everything to something solid, something transcendental. Uh, yeah. And in the purport, Prabhupada talks about how to do that. So. Okay. You yeah, a question about speech. I mean, you've talked about this often. Huh? I mean, you've talked about this before. About yeah, what? I forget. Um... <coughs> So, what if you have to speak the truth, but the truth might not be pleasing for someone to hear? Okay, well, it depends, because in the purport to that verse, to 17.15, Prabhupada says that one must speak the truth. Well, let's just look at 17.15. It's really nice the way he puts it. And there's different ways, or there's different... Um, yeah. All right. It's, uh, yeah, 1715, different. Is it on page 650? 650 in the hardback, so I don't okay. know if it's a softback. 
Yeah, it's going to be I'm different. Six, 11, okay. So, uh, in the purport, Prabhupada said, one should not speak in such a way as to agitate the minds of others. And then he says, of course, when a teacher speaks, he can speak the truth for the instruction of his students. But such a teacher should not speak to those who are not his students. Because <coughs> there's a relationship there. When, you, when you're, you're a student of a teacher or a disciple of a guru, it's understood that you're, you're willing to accept correction or even chastisement, right? This is penance as far as talking, can, talking is concerned. Besides that, one should not talk nonsense. <laughs> There's a very blunt. The process of speaking in spiritual circles, so this is very important, is to say something upheld by the scriptures. So it doesn't mean that every you know, line we speak, we have to give a reference. <laughs> that would be weird. Right. But we should be prepared to back up what we're saying. You know, we should, over time, know the scriptures so well that we should be able to give a reference. It's like prophets, it's just like the Christian knows his Bible, like the uh, attorney knows his law book. So that, and that takes time. But uh, that's a good practice to... And that's the difference between... I had a letter yesterday from uh, the president of the Philly Temple, and he had me speak on Prabhupada's disappearance day. And we've been corresponding, and he, he said... Uh, he had a question about speculation. And he, he didn't understand something, and I said, well, Prabhupada clarified this. There's a difference between mental speculation and philosophical speculation. And uh, Prabhupada, in this letter, he gave the example of water. That when we taste water, and we, we remember Krishna's words, I am the taste of water, then we think over in our minds how Krishna is the taste of water. I mean, assume, I mean, obviously it's best if it's pure water, <laughs> not maybe city water or whatever, but, you know, the purity, the quenching power, <coughs> the mercy of it. But then if one doesn't accept, it doesn't have reference to, he doesn't know, Krishna says, I am the taste of water, and he just tries to speculate about what that is, and that's called mental speculation, and that's limited to the power of our own brains. And there's never any conclusion, you know, we'll just sort of agitate our minds this way and that, well, what is that? When that's what philosophy has come to in Kali Yuga, if you ever take a philosophy course, they just argue about words. <laughs> that's all they do. So, uh, now I'm trying to, I forget how that connected to your, how did, what were we talking, we're talking about? talking about, you were talking about the Philly Temple president. Oh, yeah, yeah, so I was able to answer him by this, this, because there's two kinds of speculation. There's mental speculation, which is just, it, it proceeds from the power of our own minds, which is always limited and changing. <coughs> or philosophical speculation is, we start with what Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra say, and then we just try to appreciate and understand it. And that's, that's the proper use of our thinking power. We're, we're using our thinking power in relationship to something transcendent, something absolute. It's beyond our limitations. Okay, so, were we still reading this purport? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I want you to once quote from scripture with that. At the same time, such talk should be very pleasurable to the ear. By such discussions, one may derive the highest benefit and elevate human society. 
There is a limitless stock of Vedic literature, and one should study this. This is called penance of speech. <coughs> so, uh, your question was, what if we have to say something and the person might not appreciate it? Right? Well, that depends on our relationship. Maybe I can't say something to you, or you, or you, or somebody can't say something to me because they know I'm going to dismiss it. <laughs> or whatever. But if, but if, uh, so if I, if, 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 in the first place, maybe what I have to say to someone in the name of correction, maybe I'm wrong. That's something I have to consider. Or, but if I know, yeah, this is really, got to say something. It's best to go to somebody who has a relationship with that person, and then maybe they can get through to the person. Otherwise, if I know that I'm just going to butt heads with the person, what's the use? Probably just make it worse. Yeah. Right? They'll just double down <laughs> on their misunderstanding. And then also, uh, your relationship will be, will be worse. So, yeah, what's the use? Thank you, Robert. Okay. <coughs> um, let's see. Text 55. 55. So it's Sri Bhagavan Uvacha and... Sure. You want to go? Yeah. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O Partha, when a man gives up all varieties of desire for sense gratification which arise from mental concoction, and when his mind, thus purified, finds satisfaction in the self alone, then he is said to be in pure transcendental consciousness. Okay, I have a question. Why... Uh, so, that's <coughs> the first thing Krishna says to Arjuna. How do I know if somebody's really transcendental? And Krishna says, uh, well, the first thing is he's given up all varieties, uh, gives up all of desire for sense gratification. Then he says, which arise from mental concoction. <coughs> so what's the connection between desire for sense gratification and mental concoction? Raise your hand. Let's give someone else a chance. Don't be afraid. <laughs> yes, Lavanga. Interpretation and desire for sense gratification. Well, it starts in the mind. And what what's going on in the mind? Take the us mind, there. The mind is telling the you know, the mind is saying, oh, if you do this, you're really gonna enjoy this or that, you know. And then from the mind. <coughs> Then the intelligence kicks in and starts telling you how you think, you know, like how you can accomplish that. And then from there, you start to take action, and then you accomplish objectively. And how does it work out? Uh, <laughs> different degrees, depending on what exactly you're you're going for. <laughs> what does what does Krishna say in eighteen thirty nine? That happiness, which appears to be like. Well, yeah, uh, nectar, nectar at first and poison, poison at the end is in the mode of passion yeah so there might be some immediate payoff yeah because pe why do people do anything because they, there's some payoff you know what's, what's in it but then it always as George Harrison said what is sweet now turns so sour right so uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a concoction, it's, it's an idea, and it starts with leaving Krishna. Yeah, Krishna's really nice, but maybe I could enjoy separately from Krishna, maybe I could have a good time, maybe I could be the center, it would be even better. We did a play of this in Gita Nagra, it's called Big Fish, Little Fish. Krishna's the big fish, 
And the, the star of the show was a little fish who fell from grace by deciding, I want to be the big fish. You know? And then he's cast on the land, <coughs> and then the whole play is different, different uh, temptations Maya you know, presents to the little fish. You need this to be happy. You need that to be happy. But he's a fish out of water. And he can never be happy till he's back in the water. And that's how the play happily ends, when the fish realizes that he's a fish. And he's not going to be happy on land. Try to imitate the big fish. So it, it's a big fantasy that we can enjoy separately from Krishna by mating our material senses with the material sense objects. It doesn't work out. And even if it does work out in the short term, it's always diminishing returns as time goes on. Right. Prabhupada said, so you, you give me nice sweet balls. I was, oh, very nice. Have another? Oh, okay. Another? Mm. And then the same sweet ball that you liked at first is like, no, I hate it. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, doesn't work out. <coughs> oh, it's a metal concoction. All right, let's go to uh, who's after reading. You're reading. Okay, let me get to the page here. Boy, John, who's comments? The Sita Pragyana reveals his position by having no material affection. He is detached from both happiness and misery. Rather, he is fully satisfied by fixing his consciousness on the self. In text 56 through 57. Wow, wait a minute. Okay. So, it's all right, it's a little different here, but it's in the same. Go ahead. In text 56 through 57, Krishna answers Arjuna's second question. How does he speak? The question means, how are his intelligence and words affected by another's affection, anger, or neutrality? In other words, how does he respond? Wow. So, that's oh. really deeper. Yeah. That's according to Vishwanath. Yeah. Okay which arise from mental concoction, and when his mind, thus purified, finds satisfaction in the self alone. So who is the self now? Find satisfaction. Who are we really? We are... Yeah, and... Yes, we're Krishna's servants. When we become satisfied just serving Krishna, then we're going places. You know, we're really, we're on to something. Oh. Yeah, I'm not going to chase the sense objects anymore. I'm just going to... And Krishna is the object of our love and affection and focus. That takes practice because we're out of practice. <coughs> Any questions on that? So, yeah, I think I've asked a similar before. Quick question. So when it says giving up desire for sense gratification, does that mean you no longer... I mean, like, I think the next verse is that Krishna says that although the taste remains, the... By experience, the man fixed in consciousness ceases such engagements by fixing, uh, by experiencing a higher taste. Yeah. So does that mean so, so the taste remains like you know what I mean that sweet ball like I'll still acknowledge that like my tongue might want the sweet ball, but I'm not going to go indulge in the sweet ball because because you have a higher, higher taste. taste. Yeah, that's the whole because we are pleasure seekers, and we're not going to give up our addictions until we get something better. Because we are, by nature, addictive personalities. <laughs> we have to become addicted to serving Krishna, pleasing Krishna. But we're just, you know, we're probably, you know, the old example of the fan. 
and plug out the, take the plug out of the fan, it's still turning. So here we are, we're aspiring to serve Krishna, but we're still, you know, we're kind of haunted by the memory of past um, sense experiences, even though they didn't work out. <laughs> it, they're still like, maybe there's some, maybe if I just did it this way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's always some, you know, <laughs> haunting. Uh, yeah, and as long as we don't plug the fan back in by indulging, you know, going back to that old life, then the fan just, you know, just it just stops. It does, it does stop. <coughs> but it uh, takes time. Yeah. And we're coming back up to that anymore. No, I, I just like to bring in things. Um, but we're mainly focusing on... Let's see, so where are we? 56? Yep. It's 2, not 56, 57, Bori John. Okay, read the two verses. One who has not disturbed the mind, even amidst the threefold miseries, or elated when there is happiness, and who is free from attachment, fear, and anger, is called the sage of steady mind. Mm. In the material world, one who is unaffected by whatever good or evil he may attain, neither praising, praising it nor despising it, is firmly fixed in perfect knowledge. So, this is a wise person. When, when something nice comes along, we don't get carried away by it. Because if we let ourselves get carried away by uh, material stuff, then we're just setting ourselves up for the next letdown. Because whether we're in material happiness or material distress, it's going to, move, it's going to change the next minute. That's because we're all in this time thing. And time is always you know, knocking us off our perch. <coughs> so a wise person doesn't, you know, if something nice comes along, we use it for Krishna. And if something, you know, distressful comes along, we, we endure it and we thank Krishna that he's kindly minimizing the consequences of our past choices to teach us something. So it's not, we don't suffer in vain. You know, there's some lesson in every, uh, you know, in every, Fortune. So, okay, uh, Lily, you want to read the comments? I oh, wait, that. Uh, before you read. Unless you read the continuous, to make a comment. Please. Yeah, make a comment. Because this verse um, you were speaking about now being related when there is happiness or, you know, disturbed when there is distress, and then we think of in the third canto how we just got done reading the story of Karma Muni and Devamuti. And that one verse from Prabhupada was saying that Karma Muni, like, he enjoyed all these things without attachment. Yeah. So it made me think that, you know, like, steady-minded, you know, like, mm. not overly elated, but like, you know, or not, like, super distressed, but just like... Because he was on a track, he had a... Because he said at the beginning of the marriage, okay, I'll, I'll give you nine daughters and a son. And then I'm out of here. <laughs> So they had nine daughters, and then, uh, and then he was, and then she reminded him, "But wait, you have to give me a son. You have to give me a son." You know? <laughs> okay, yeah, because he was so. So even when he was, you know, in that aerial mansion and they're enjoying like anything together, he, yeah, he always, he still had his vision of what's at the end of the road here. He had an end game to the whole thing. And that was the deal that he had with Devahuti and Swayambhubamanu, Devahuti's father and mother, Shararupa. So, 
I mean, if you can not get carried away by an aerial mansion with a princess <laughs> for thousands of years, Stita Prakyasta Dochate, that's sage of steady mind. I remember, also, I remember a quote from Shankarpa. I'm just going to paraphrase because I can't remember the exact words, but he said something along the lines of, Don't be surprised when something bad happens, be surprised when something Wait, don't, don't, be surprised, don't be surprised when something good happens. Be surprised when something bad happens. He says that. Oh, I'd like to know that. Oh, that you, you were just reminding me of uh, another one. Yeah. Where don't be surprised who leaves, be surprised who stays. That's yeah. the kind of... <laughs> is that what you were thinking of? Mm -hmm. huh? no, okay, I'll, I'll look it up, please. It. I'd like to know the context. Yeah. <coughs> Did you read Borijan's comments yet? No. Okay. Let me read that one. Alright. Uh, a Dir Muni is both fixed in knowledge and aloof from the material world. He lives on a transcendental platform and therefore his mind cannot be materially disturbed. Srila Prabhupada writes, such a fully Krishna conscious person is not at all disturbed by the onsites of the threefold Onslaught. misery. Onslaughts of the threefold miseries. For he accepts all miseries as the mercy of the Lord thinking himself only worthy of more trouble due to his past misdeeds. And he sees that his miseries by the Lord's grace are minimized to the lowest. Similarly, when he is happy, he gives credit to the Lord, mm -hmm. thinking himself unworthy of this happiness. These symptoms describe a Krishna-conscious person, but they may also describe one who is liberated, but not Krishna-conscious. An exalted devotee is unaffected by material happiness or distress, because his consciousness has nothing to do um, nothing to do with matter, but one who is simply liberated in the Brahman. Brahman may be neutral in relation to the material world, while having no positive engagement in Krishna consciousness. Thus, these symptoms are applicable to both personalists and impersonalists, though Shiva Prabhupada emphasizes how they apply to personalists. Okay, before you read that transition, yeah, uh, Rupa Goswami, in Nectar Devotion, you know, Prabhupada gave us Nectar Devotion, describes three kinds of happiness. Material happiness, spiritual happiness, and transcendental happiness. And they're, they increase. So material happiness is just the roller coaster happiness, right? Up and down, and up and down, and happy, sad. And then, uh, but the happiness that a, an, an authentic, impersonalist yogi or sage feels is so much greater than that roller coaster. And therefore, that's how they're not interested in the material world. They're just satisfied to be living in that clear light, in that illumination. But still, that's nothing compared to the transcendental happiness of a devotee who's in love with Krishna because he's engaging in a reciprocation with the most wonderful person, uh, doing all kinds of activities and adventures and forms and qualities and pastimes. So, it's a progression. <coughs> okay, Leela, read that last. Next question, how does he sit? means, how does he not engage his senses? What is, what is his mentality when his senses are restrained from their objects? Krishna answers in the next two verses. Mm. Mm. Okay, we got ten minutes. We might finish. Any questions about that? Lavanga, you're on. Okay, could we... 58. Okay. 
One who is able to withdraw his senses from such objects, as the tortoise draws his limbs within the shell, is firmly fixed in perfect consciousness. Mm. Such a person uses his senses only when required. Whether or not that restraint is difficult for him is described in the next verse. Well, I see this every day out here if you go over to the pond, right? The turtles. Korma yogis. <laughs> As soon as you approach, you know, they're like in defense mode. They live inside a little tank, you know, a little armor. <laughs> and then you walk away and then all clear. And then, and then they're out like this, you know, you see them with their limbs <laughs> doing sun salutations. Yeah, it looks like they're doing like yoga poses. Yeah, they're so still too. <laughs> yeah, they're really... St- it's crazy yeah. how still they are. So Krishna uses, it's kormo. It's kormo ngani vasarvashaha. Yeah. How did Prabhupada say the word tortoise? Tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet when he said tortoise. Just like the tortoise. Okay, so here is the famous one. Um, Dana? The embodied soul may be restricted from sense enjoyment, though the taste for sense objects remains. But ceasing such engagements by experiencing the higher taste, he is fixed in consciousness. Mm. A transcendentalist renunciation is not difficult because he has a higher taste. This is especially true of Vaishnavas. As a tortoise naturally draws its limbs into its shell, devotees naturally and fully withdraw their senses from matter by engaging them in Krishna's service. In texts 60 through 63, Krishna explains the danger of Arjuna's plan to renounce work and go to the forest to gain knowledge and avoid sinful reaction. So this is the beauty of bhakti, that we engage, we can engage our senses, but in Krishna's service. So can you imagine trying to just stop your senses? I mean, this is what impersonalists try to do. It's very difficult. Um, I'm thinking of 12.5, Papa talks about how difficult it is for the impersonalists, but anyway. <coughs> so, yeah, we can eat, you know, we can talk, we can walk, uh, but it's, we're on a different, we're stepping to a different drum, as they say in English, different drum. Uh, so, Prabhupada even talks about this, how when a devotee is walking down the street, the devotee feels him or herself different from everybody else walking down the street. Not in an elitist way, you know, a proud way, but just we feel that uh, grateful that uh, our that Prabhupada and Krishna have introduced us to this path of being in the world but not of it, and engaging everything in the world in Krishna's service. So this is what's called yukta vairagya, practical renunciation, not artificial renunciation. Any other question? I, I, I oh, I'm, but I have to go to, let's leave it. I said it wrong. I said, it's, don't be surprised when things go wrong. Be surprised when things go right. And there's one show Prabhupada described the temporary nature of the world. Oh, okay. So the context is yeah. how difficult it is to live in the material energy. Because the material energy is designed by Krishna to baffle us. And that's mercy, because it's, made, it's, it's meant to bring us to our knees, actually, and ask, why? Why is, 
There's always something. Why me? What's the purpose? This doesn't make any sense. So that's that's it's designed to inspire those kind of questions. Yeah. <coughs> okay. I'm sorry. Did you have a question? No? Did you have a question, Michelle? Well, I was just I was just um, asking you to. I was just thinking about what you were saying and wasn't wanting to rush off to another comment. I was just wanting to know. I was just listening to what you were saying and I didn't want you to stop talking for a while. Oh, but you had a question or no? No, I was just saying. Wait, are you? Never mind. I was okay. just making thinking out loud. Okay. One thing I, I had observed. Well, this comment I was just one thing I observed and Malava pointed out to me actually when we were up at uh, up at the ashram up there in Sedona mm-hmm. like um, it was really austere like they're really austere like they they're like they don't eat very much and like this is it uh, the, what's his name the guy Shankar Nanda yeah okay they, yeah. Did, they really didn't eat very much and they were very like kind of, it was kind of quiet there like you know it's not not a lot of noise like real quiet you know what I mean and, Sounds kind of good. <laughs> I like a little peace and quiet. So. Not a bunch of chanting. <laughs> and one, thing, one thing that we observed was that, I mean, I, I observed was that, like, Jivananda had a really powerful effect on them because he's so dynamic. Because, because there's, like, there's not, there's, there's the acknowledgement of a personality of a unique individual who's uh-huh. a spirit soul and a servant of Krishna. And he was able to be so dynamic in talking to them and then like reciprocating with their question, mm. being a joke, or joking, and then the kirtan, like, so everything was so dynamic. I think that, like, I kind of experienced that difference between, because, I mean, the Swami Shankaranda is very nice and he's very, very spiritual, there's no doubt about it, but uh-huh. he was just, the observance was that it was very much more, like you said, spiritual happiness versus the transcendental happiness of reciprocating with Engaging, Krishna. Engaging, yeah. I, I mean, I thought that was so clear, and I thought people, that's why people were so, like, they were so amazed uh-huh. by like the talk and yeah. the kirtan because it was ex- it was exposing some of that transcendental happiness. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Malala? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, that I noticed like I mean, firstly I thought I could learn a lot from them like not speaking unnecessarily and things mm-hmm. like that. But just um, and there I, like I felt very much mode of goodness. But when um, you know when we started talking about bhakti and we brought in that aspect of um, you know, that personal relationship with Krishna, yeah. I could definitely tell the difference between mode of goodness and something beyond that, mm. which, you know, I haven't had that experience, like, before. Mm. And, um, I'm glad you and I, I felt that they also were sensing that there was something beyond yeah. you know, what they were doing. Because it wasn't even clear, like, what their goal was. You know? Well, there is no. And, like, so... Um, it's amorphous. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was just like that. It was like a morphous. So even though there was like that happiness that you get, that peacefulness, mm-hmm. at the same time, I was kind of like, there's something missing. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that uh, it seems like both the devotees and the uh, impersonal yogis, or they were, mm-hmm. were learning something. Yeah. Because you were up there and you were appreciating their sense control. Whereas, because we're engaging... But we're coming from the material world, so sometimes our engagement, it can quickly degrade into something mundane. Yeah. Right? In yeah. terms of our speech or our, you know, the stories we tell. Uh, whereas they, you know, they were, on, they were practicing some spiritual path, but then they were intrigued by this whole idea of, of bhakti, uh, 
something higher, personalism. Yeah. So that seems like you each learn from each other. Yeah, that's, that's good. Cool, yeah. It's a really sweet experience. Very nice. I hope that continues. Supposed to be go back in January. So. Okay. So where are we? What did we do? What, uh, 15. We did 59. Did we do 59? I think we're going to finish. Did we do 59? Yes. Oh, we did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we did. Okay. So I think we're going to end because 60, 61. Yeah. That's okay, actually, 60s, because it starts getting into the nitty-gritty of sense control. And, uh, yeah, detailed. So that works. Any last questions or comments? I'm only so blissful to have you, class. Yeah. We're sorry Mary Rose can't come again, but you're working. Huh? <laughs> what do you do? I, I work at an elementary school. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and you just happen to have Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. Well, we'll see you next holiday. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, Srila Bhopad, Kee Jai. Jai.